Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the show. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast. I'm Monique, and I enjoy interviewing guests about veganism, overall wellness, and vegan entrepreneurship. This is truly a lifestyle podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review to help others find us. You can leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Also, come hang out with me on YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan over there for recipes and vegan tips. And as always, you can get the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. Start off by finding out how my guests are doing, because I feel like over the last few years, life has just been very interesting for a lot of us. So Mm -hmm. overall, how are you feeling these days? I think based on what my self-care habits are, I think I'm doing much better than I have in the past. So especially with all the things that come up, especially over the past few years, one of my self-care things is that I refuse to watch the news anymore. So I found with not doing that, that absolutely helps, especially considering my career. I get a lot of the excitement and stuff in my work. So I really don't need to watch the news and add on top of that. So that that definitely helps. (laughs) My best friend is a therapist, so I can only imagine some of the things that you're probably hearing. So are you doing a lot of your, have a lot of clients virtually or are you back in office? So I'm actually slowly kind of moving away from the one-on-one counseling because I wanted some experience in supervisory roles. Mm-hmm. So I actually was a supervisor of a 24-hour domestic violence crisis line. Mm-hmm. So I had staff that answered most of the calls, but being the supervisor, I would have to fill in for them sometimes. And then also just answering calls as an example to them, kind of showing them how I would like things to go and how we would serve clients. So less one-on-one counseling services over these past, I want to say three to five years, but still using a lot of those skills in my career as I'm kind of shifting away from that one-on-one service. So supervisory roles and kind of getting into more of the admin stuff. Um, So recently, I think that definitely has helped with my mental health as well. Yeah, I can only, yeah, sounds like it would. (laughs) Do you have to deal with any of the escalated situations? Say, for instance, something happens and your staff can't necessarily handle it. Does it usually come to you or do you just kind of like coach them? Yes. So it's a little bit of both. It kind of depends on when the crisis happens. So with it being a 24-hour crisis line, I would be on call the times where I'm not actually working in the office. So our helpline is on site in the office. And then if something happens three in the morning, um, me and some of my other team or other supervisors would take turns being on call. So we will be on call for a week out of each month. So if a crisis happens and they have to call, wake me up at three in the morning, then I kind of have to snap out of it and really be present to kind of coach them through how to provide that service. And then there will be crises. For example, um, I am based in Cleveland, Ohio. So there was an incident of a teacher um, that was really well known in the community being um, murdered by her partner. So we see an increase in phone calls when things like that happen in the community. When there's a crisis and there's an acute need in the community, then we definitely see an increase in phone calls at that time. And then I can jump on the phone with my staff in that way, too. Yeah, definitely. Did you always want to go in the domestic violence air, uh, I guess, uh, I don't know, category? I don't even know how to say it. (laughs) Did you always want to go in that direction or is it something that just kind of landed in your lap and then you decided that that would be something that you wanted to explore more? Yeah, so I would say that I've always been drawn to vulnerable populations. I've always wanted to work with the populations that maybe don't always have the resources or access to the top therapists in the community or the top social service agencies in the community. I've always been drawn to working with that population. And my degree is actually working with children and adolescents. So I've always worked with children that have experienced trauma. And a lot of the children that I'm working with have been in the foster care system. Um, or been adopted and dealing with that, with leaving their bio family and then being placed with another family and having to deal with that trauma of what that's like. And that kind of led me into being connected to a lot of families that experienced domestic violence. And that's why the child had to be removed. So in working with vulnerable populations, I found that a lot of domestic violence and just community violence was often involved. So when I moved into this position as a supervisor, I was like, oh, I've done this before and I actually enjoy working with vulnerable populations the most. So it kind of just flowed easily into that path. And we need it. We need it, you know, and I feel like people these days, especially since the pandemic, 
are more open to receiving it, especially our people. Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a time that there was like such a stigma around uh, therapy and getting assistance in different areas of our lives. And I feel like now people are more open to talk about it. It's not as shameful to people. So I love that. I love that we're going in that direction. Absolutely. And even in my family, with me being kind of the only therapist in my family, my extended family, and especially the older people in my family, just trying to understand. So what do you do? So people actually come and tell you all of their business. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of what I'm Seriously. So even just having access to me, like, they're like, you're my niece, though. Like, you, I still view you as a baby. and You're you a baby, know, right? Right. They're like, and you giving people advice. So ha just having access to somebody that is in that field, I think, is also helping to dispel all of the myths and the stigma. And now I even have members of my family that will come to me and be like, I connected with a therapist and this is how it's going for me um, or even myself going to counseling. Because I think it's really important if you are in any kind of service industry, it's really important to be connected to somebody where you can unload. Because if everybody's putting everything on you and you're not taking it anywhere, then how are you going to manage all of that? So I think that's really important. Mm. That's important. Yes. Like your therapist needs a therapist. I like yes. that. Yeah. Did you always want to go into this field? Is it something as you're like a teenager or someone in middle <laughs> school, you were kind of like, I want to go into psychology. Was that always a goal for you? I would say it probably started in high school. I, I'm the type of person that always wants to, I'm always going to ask why. And I always want to understand why, what is the motive behind the things that we do? I want to know why me and my brother didn't necessarily get along when we were kids or why my dad and his brother don't necessarily get a, like things like that. I always was asking questions. I want to know why I want to understand what's behind the scenes of the actions that we portray to the world. So that was kind of like my inside scoop to be able to get all of these answers. So it's really, it really came out of me just being a little nosy. I would say, I just want to know why people do the things they do. So when I interact with somebody and we have an awesome connection up front, I'm like, man, where did that come from? Why did we vibe instantly? Or if it's the opposite, where it's like, man, why didn't we click? I, I just want to know why. So that absolutely <laughs> psychology matches that perfectly. And now that I'm like licensed and everything, I got my little DSM and I will pull it out in a minute and like, mm, what, what's going on here? Why, why, why is this happening? And pull out my DSM and now I got some answers. So it definitely helped help my inquisitiveness. I have tons of questions and that definitely is going to help answer a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. So I feel like the reason, well, actually one of the main reasons I wanted us to have a conversation is because not only are you plant-based, but you're in mental health. And I feel like there's such a huge connection um, between those two communities, even though mm -hmm. it's just kind of like multifaceted, like as black people, we just kind of were involved in so many different things. And so what made you decide to become plant-based? So in 2015, I was diagnosed with PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome, and I had never heard of that. I'm like, what the heck is this? What are you saying that I have? And my doctor's like, well, one in 10 women have it. Like 10% of women have this, and I've never heard of it before. Like I was just really concerned and confused, and it actually came about just because I was not pleased with the treatment plan that my doctor came up with for me. And I was like, there has to be another way. I refuse to be on medication for the next 40, 50 years of my life. Like I, that just did not sound like a good plan to me. I was really frustrated that there's only treatment and not necessarily a cure for PCOS. And I was like, no, maybe these people don't know what they're talking about. So I just go on the internet and I'm like, let me, let me diagnose myself and figure out if there are some other options out there for me. And I'm finding blogs and all these articles about women that have PCOS and are making lifestyle changes to really manage their symptoms as opposed to the typical treatment plan. A doctor will normally put you on birth control and possibly metformin if you are showing any signs of insulin resistance. And I was like, yeah, two pills for the rest of my life. That does not sound like anything I want to do. And I wanted to try something completely different. So over the course of a few months and just doing a lot of research and having really negative side effects to the medications that the doctor prescribed me, I just made that decision. Like I need to make a drastic lifestyle change if I want to see any type of progress in my illness, because the medications that they gave were supposedly going to help alleviate a lot of my symptoms. And I really struggle with acne and insulin resistance and maybe a little bit of excess weight. I know a lot of um, women with PCOS have a really hard time losing weight. And I would not necessarily say that I would be considered severely overweight, 
But those were kind of the three symptoms that I was really struggling with. And taking birth control was not helping any of those things. Right. And I was not interested in taking metformin after I experienced really bad side effects from the birth control. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this into my own hands. Just try it out. See what happens. And that's how I transitioned to a plant-based diet. Man. So I know that, of course, health is a big factor, right? You kind of felt yeah. like you didn't have a choice. But right. what did your lifestyle look like growing up when it comes to food? Did you always have a good relationship with food? Or is it something that you had to learn over time? I would say I probably had, I wouldn't say I had the best relationship with food because I definitely um, saw examples in my family where food can be used as comfort. Um, but then there were like positive things that I learned about food from my grandfather. For example, he was juicing before it was cool to make green juice. My grandfather was juicing before it was cool. Like he would run every single day far into his 70s. So he kind of set a really good example of how to take care of our bodies. So there was that positive side of it. But then I also learned that like if you are in a crunch and you don't really have time to sit down and prepare something that's healthy and nutritious, we can go to McDonald's right quick. And fast food was a really big part of, I would say, my childhood because we, I had family members where fast food was maybe a treat once a month, maybe twice a month. In my family, in my nuclear family, we were going to fast food restaurants three, four times a week. So there was a lot of that tied to convenience. And then also a lot of comfort can come from food if my family And cheap. Is, yep. Yep, yeah. Very affordable and very convenient. And my grandmother was like, obviously, like the big matriarch of our family preparing these big elaborate meals every Sunday, every birthday, every holiday. So there were good memories and things associated with food. And then my grandfather being really healthy. But then in my immediate family, a lot of that being used as a convenient option. So I can see how a lot of those habits that my family learned from generations before them. And then I picked up, I can see how some of those may have impacted and led to my PCOS, but then other diseases that I learned, I did not learn until after I was diagnosed with PCOS. Women in my family are like, oh yeah, I have fibroids. Oh, I had oh, endometriosis. Wow. And I'm like, nobody wanted to tell me that. Because like, mm-hmm. we think it's normal, right? Mm-hmm. We think it's normal. And all of those things are tied together. So it would have been really helpful to know those things because I could have taken preventative measures because in my family, they just subscribe to this. Well, it just runs in our family. And I'm like, well, if it runs in our family, shouldn't we try to find a way to try to change the path that we're going down? And then maybe I could have made some changes sooner. But now I'm kind of on the back end trying to educate my family um, with these lifestyle changes and the positive changes I've noticed since transitioning to a plant-based diet. Now I think more of my family is definitely open to hearing and learning about how things can be done differently. Obviously, I don't want everybody in my family to go change their life overnight if that's not what they're interested in, but I think they're definitely more open to these conversations. Yeah, I feel like we all have room to just eat more vegetables and, you know, plant fruit anyway, right? We all have room for that, even if you don't want to be vegan. So I love that. When you just said that um, PCOS has a one in 10 women have been diagnosed with it or have it, that number, I'm like still stuck on that because I didn't realize it was that high. Do you think the reason why there's not enough information or there's some information, but it's not as known as far as the numbers being so high because it usually affects black women? That could definitely play a part because, again, I think it's tied in those other disorders that, again, it disproportionately affects women of color. So fibroids, endometriosis and PCOS, all of those disproportionately affect women of color. But the other thing my doctor told me is that a lot of women don't even realize they have it. So we are taught that our cycles are almost like an enigma. Like I was told because I thought nothing was wrong with me. Obviously, my cycle was not regular. That That's one of the main symptoms of PCOS. But I'm thinking, well, they tell you maybe your cycle will be off if you're stressed or maybe your cycle will be off if you're working out too much. And I was very active going to the gym pretty regularly. I was also in graduate school at the time of my diagnosis. So I'm like, I'm stressed out from school. Plus, I'm working out three, four times a week. So I probably just messed up my cycle doing that. So we're taught that your body can be off sometimes and there's some normality with that. But then I was not taught at what point is it no more, no longer normal. And maybe I need to talk to somebody about it because the only reason I really brought it up to my doctor was because I developed really severe cystic acne and I had never had skin, even bad skin, even throughout my teenage years. When most kids are breaking out, my skin was flawless throughout high school. So when my skin starts breaking out, when I'm in my twenties, 
I'm like, wait a minute, something is wrong here. Right. So that's really the only reason I even brought it up. I never would have brought it up to my doctor if I didn't have acne because I just thought my cycle being irregular was somehow normal. So it was also just, I think, a lot of that miseducation, but then also women just not knowing and then not bringing it up to your doctor because it's not really affecting you yet. Like a lot of people don't realize that there's something wrong until they're trying to have children and now they're having difficulty and then they'll ask their doctor about it. And then maybe that's when their diagnosis can heal up. So I think those two things definitely could contribute to that. And I think even recently, I just looked up the statistics. I think it's even higher than 10% now. Wow. That's what it was back when I was diagnosed. That's what the doctor told me. I've just looked it up not too long ago. And it looks like the stats are even higher now. So outside of a regular period um, and also maybe having acne, what are some of the other symptoms that people or ladies that are listening to this podcast may not be aware that is affecting them? Mm-hmm. So hairstuism, I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it, but hair loss. And a lot of times because of how your hormones are out of balance, that hair loss can present as male pattern baldness. So you may lose hair in the spots of your head where you typically see a man losing his hair. So maybe right around the crown. So I know a lot of women, we pull our hair back into ponytails and we're used to that tension around our edges, but men may more likely lose their hair right in the crown of their head. Excess hair growth. So women sometimes grow facial hair, chin hair, chest hair. Um, so that excess hair growth can be another symptom. It affects so much of your body because your hormones affect everything. Your hormones affect your hunger levels, your sleep, your mood, everything. And PCOS kind of will disrupt all of those systems. So your hair growth, your mood, your skin, your cycle, everything is going to be a little bit disrupted. So I would really suggest if women are concerned or considering thinking that they have PCOS, the way you're diagnosed is with a vaginal ultrasound or blood um, blood test because the blood test will show what your hormone levels are doing. So they'll take a couple of precautions and provide those tests for you. And the doctor will be able to tell you for sure if they see any imbalances. And most likely, again, the route they'll take you is most likely going to be birth control and metformin if they're seeing any insulin resistance, because that is a common symptom with PCOS as well. Um, Some differences in your blood sugar levels. It sounds like it's just a simple test, but we have to just be aware so that we can ask for it. That's what it sounds like. Right. Because they're not going to automatically give it to us at a physical. Right. Right. You want to ask. And I went to a gynecologist. So this was not at my annual physical. I was getting my annual checkup with my gynecologist. And she asked, because the first thing I said was, what's wrong with my face? Like, why is this happening? <laughs> right. What are we going to do about my skin? Yes. And she's like, uh-huh. her, right. Her next question was, when was your last cycle? And my answer was 69 days ago. 69 days since my wow. last cycle. And she was like, Brittany, why didn't you tell me that? I was like, I'm just stressed out, right? And she was like, no. I was like, I think I am. And she's like, but that in combination with your acne, we want to do some additional tests. So right there, my annual checkup changed into a PCOS checkup. Right, but that was a blessing. Yes, absolutely. Because a lot of people would have written you off. A lot of doctors might have written that off. They wouldn't have just like, oh, yeah, you're stressed, and that's it. Yeah, so I love that. So the fact that I think that's why I'm suggesting probably a gynecologist, because those are the things that will be on their mind. I think a, a general physician, while they are fully capable of diagnosing that, I just think that they could consider some other things where a gynecologist will probably just zero in on that. Yeah. Definitely. I love this. I love that you're giving us this information, this awareness. Now, we got to get into this, Brittany, because you told me that you basically transitioned to your vegan life, to a plant-based lifestyle overnight. Now, I know, of course, (laughs) health was a motivation, right? When health is a motivation, I get it. But how did you keep going? Because, you know, once you start seeing results, I'm sure that made that played a role in it. But Mm -hmm. The fact that for the average person, you don't even really know what to eat. What right. did it look like for you when you first started? <laughs> I'm laughing because I just, I, it was all of those. I literally had no clue what I was doing. So I woke up one morning after all of these months of my research, just casually, I'm Googling how to cure PCOS every other day, pretty much, because I'm like, I know the doctor said there's no cure. But she got to be wrong. Like, I'm about to find something because there has to be another way. So I'm Googling. I'm stumbling across blogs, um, documentaries, all these articles, all of these things. And I actually ended up watching, what was that called? It was a documentary pre-What the Health. Because I know What the Health was really big for a lot of people and kind of pushed everybody over the edge to transition. So Food Matters, maybe? 
Food Matters. I, it, um, was, it was a documentary where a guy eating. went on a juice fast. He did oh, a juice fast. Fat, fat and nearly dead. Fat and nearly dead. That's it. And that kept coming up into my mind. And I was like, man, he got off all of his medications just by fasting. I was like, what if I just fast for like 90 days and then I'll be good? What if I just do that? But it, I keep doing research and women keep saying lifestyle changes, lifestyle changes. So it's not a quick fix. And I'm not averse to hard work. <laughs> it's going to require that overtaking medication for the next 40 years of my life. So are you there, Monique? I'm here. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I'm looking at my screen like I can't I can't see anything moving anymore, but yeah, I see it. Oh, so, I see you. You're good on my end. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that kept that documentary kept popping up into my head and I'm like, maybe if I just make this lasting change, I'll see some positive results and then maybe maybe I'll fix it within three to six months. I don't know. We'll see. But the more I'm doing research, the more I'm like, no, this is going to have to be a lifelong change. And my first option was maybe I can just be organic because a lot of what I'm seeing is saying, well, when you eat animal-based foods, animals have their own hormones. So when you're eating animals, don't you think their hormones will probably impact your hormones? But I'm like, "Mm, what if I eat organic food? Then I don't have to worry about all these hormones, these pesticides, all of this stuff. So that was my original thought because I was like, I can't give up meat and dairy. That just doesn't make sense to me. But I'm still thinking about that documentary in the back of my mind. So one day I wake up, if I'm not mistaken, it was May 18th, 2015. I love that. <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm going to remember this big anniversary. If, if, if I do nothing else, I'm going to remember this. And I just woke up one morning. I'm looking at my refrigerator and I'm like, I can't eat these eggs anymore. This cheese. I had everything because I, I used to meal prep like my healthy meals before, like grilled chicken and fish and all of those things. So I had food in my refrigerator, prepared, some unprepared. And I'm like, I can't waste all of this food though. So what am I going to do? So I take all this food that can be used to some of my family members or friends. And I'm like, okay, now my, now my refrigerator is empty. (laughs) All I have is like three apples and like a granola bar in my pantry because all (laughs) the meat and dairy is gone. So I'm like, what the heck am I going to do now? So I'm Googling and I'm like, okay, a vegan diet is just no animals, right? So I unintentionally kind of put myself in a raw vegan diet for like the first maybe I wouldn't say it was like a month. I just I was so scared to cook anything because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, what if I use the wrong butter? What if I use the wrong this or that? Because once I made up my mind, I was like, I have to stick to it. Like there's no turning back. I'm going to do this. So I was really scared about just messing up. And I was spending the longest time in the grocery store because I'm reading every nutrition label. It's like I'm starting all over again. Like I had no clue what I was looking for, what I was shopping for. So I'm reading and Googling, reading and Googling. I was in the grocery store for hours for this first year, I would say, on a plant-based diet until I developed like some really concrete staples that I wanted to always keep in my home. Like, what is my go-to snack? What am I going to eat while I'm at work for eight hours a day? Like, am I going to have to cook every single thing I eat? Can I ever get takeout? So I started Googling restaurants that I liked. Like, what, what can I eat from Chipotle? What can I eat at Wendy's? What can I eat at McDonald's? Not, nothing from those places. Like, I just need to, I was like, I can't do any of that. Like, if I want to be healthy, I got to stick to this. So I was very, very rigid in the beginning. And it was taking me forever to really get adjusted to what I can buy in the grocery store, where I can eat and shop. Um, so it was it was kind of rough in the beginning. And my family was just confused. I, I kept telling them, I don't understand how my entire childhood, you told me I needed to eat vegetables to be strong and to be a nice, strong kid. And now I'm a grown up and I tell you all I'm eating is vegetables. And now you're concerned about my health. Like, mm. I, I just, I'm trying to understand. Okay. Everybody's a nutritionist. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm like, because y'all weren't worried about the vitamins and minerals I was getting when I was eating McDonald's three times a week. But now that all I'm eating is vegetables, now you're like, Brittany, that's not healthy. You can't eat that. And I'm like, all right. So I can't talk to y'all for real about this stuff. Like, I, so I immediately turned to social media. And that's when I started following. I'm Googling or searching on Instagram, vegan food, vegan women, vegan women with PCOS. Like I'm searching everything on social media. And that was kind of like my safe place. That's like where I found women that were doing this and doing this for years and giving me ideas of what snacks to buy and what food to cook and what recipes to try. Like that was where I really started diversifying my kitchen really because I I just had no clue what I was doing. I'm making raw veggie wraps every other day because that's all I knew how to do. I was like, I just got to eat vegetables. There's nothing cooked that I can eat. Right. So I'm just going to make 
I'm going to put some food, some veggies inside a big old collard green leaf and I'm going to roll it up and eat me a little veggie wrap. And it was, it was a struggle for a while, but definitely social media helped a ton. Yes. Were you hungry? I know you were hungry. (laughs) And I, I'm the type of person I always joke. I eat like a grown man. Like I'm, I've never been that person that will go out to eat and be like, I'll just have a salad. Have a little salad. I'll just have you know, Look, I want a water. big old, right. I'm like, I want a big old burger, some fries, and a big old cup of pop. Like, that's all I Milk want. too, right? <laughs> yes. I'm like, I'm not thinking about us. I never got a salad when I was out to eat, and I refuse to do that now as a vegan or a plant-based diet. I'm not going out to eat to get a salad. Like, I can make a really good salad now for myself at home, but I'm not going to a restaurant to get a salad. I wasn't doing that before, and I'm just, I'm just not going to do it now because now, I know too much. I know too many places to go to try amazing vegan food. I just, I'm, I'm good. I don't, I don't need that. So yeah, I was definitely hungry. I was burning a hole in my budget, spending so much food, money <laughs> I on can food. Only imagine. Yeah. Especially when I was eating only raw food and like buying all these fancy juices that I saw in Whole Foods. I'm like, oh, a bottle of juice, like a little twelve ounce bottle, six dollars, and I want one for every day of the week, like. My my budget was insane in the beginning, but I definitely found ways to kind of save money, cook recipes that will make me feel full throughout the day, recipes that actually tasted good. I wasn't raw vegan on accident anymore. <laughs> like I was really, I was really getting the hang of it after a while. And then once I saw like all of the positive side effects, like my skin obviously was my number one concern. And once my skin started clearing up, I was like, oh my gosh this is actually going to work. Like I'm onto something here. <laughs> like this is amazing. And then I remember the first time my cycle, my period came on day 28 for the first time in 16 years. I was so excited. <laughs> like I was calling everybody. I was like, y'all know I became vegan for PCOS. This is a reproductive issue. So I just want y'all to understand as my loved ones, you're going to get all the TMI stuff that I don't think anybody cared to know, but you're going to know now. So fun fact, my period came on day 28, everybody. Can we say hello, hooray? Celebration. I'm like, listen, my period started today. Everybody's going to be happy for me. Like, I did not realize it was 16 years, though. Yes, yes. From <sighs> wow. the time, and I think, I think, I don't know. I can't pinpoint, obviously, where the PCOS started. Because, again, I did not exhibit symptoms until I was in my 20s. But I would say... Well, symptoms that I really was concerned with, like my acne and things like that. But obviously my period was irregular, I believe. I want to say from the time I was 14 or 15 or something like that. And I think I got on birth control maybe when I was 17, because before I had really, really, really bad cramps. Like I would have to stay home from school. So when I shared that, like on one of my YouTube videos, everybody was in the comments like, you might have had endometriosis back then. And I'm like, well, now talking to my family, that's a full possibility. Oh, yeah. yeah. Endometriosis and fibroids and things like that. So my cramps were really, really bad. And I got on birth control when I was in high school to kind of help regulate that. And I think right after I got off birth control, that's when everything started being really irregular. My cycle was not the same after I was on birth control because it definitely used to come on day 28, like clockwork. And then as soon as I got off the birth control, it was like no more. My body was so confused. It was not, it was never the same again. Wow. Goodness. Yeah, you definitely, it sounds like you had some symptoms for sure back then. Mm-hmm. 16 years is just wild of just right. not even knowing. That's just, that's wild. So yeah. I know you mentioned, of course, like your granddad and his journey and, Um, you know, finding your community with social media. But did you have some times in your life as far as dealing with your extended family that kind of made you second guess things? Did you not feel as good about sharing your experience with them during that time? I know I feel like now they're like open to it. They understand. Mm -hmm. They saw the result. They see the results that you've gotten. But there was a time in the beginning where you were just kind of like, I don't know, because I know you kind of mentioned that. So I want you to kind of elaborate on that a little more for us. I would say the parts where I was doubting myself was definitely around holidays because, again, my grandmother cooked weekly holidays, birthdays, like, and my grandmother is an amazing cook, like most of our grandmothers. Right. So during the holidays, especially that first holiday where I was just learning how to cook vegan foods again, 
and I could not have her macaroni and cheese, I was devastated. And especially on Thanksgiving, her macaroni and cheese and her sweet potato pie, those are the two things that I cared about the most. <laughs> so I was like, the size, there, right? Like, right. Yep. I'm like, oh, this is not the same. Like, I was like, there has to be a way like I can cheat sometimes. Like maybe, maybe I can just eat these foods from the holidays. But I know myself and how I said, I have a really voracious appetite. So it's not going to stop after Thanksgiving. Like I'm going to be like, okay, then maybe I can have it once a month. And then maybe I can have it every other week. Like I was, I was never going to stop. I knew what was going to happen if I opened that door. So I, I kept ha- having to remember my why. Why was I doing this? So absolutely, my grandmother is an amazing cook. Her food is my favorite in all the world. But why did I decide to make this change? So I just had to keep holding on to that. And I used to take pictures. Obviously, like most of us, I love the good selfie, even when my skin was horrible. So I have tons of pictures of what my face looked like before I transitioned to a plant-based diet. So if I started feeling myself getting weak, I would go look at those pictures like, really now, do you want your face to look like that or not? Like, you have a choice here. So I absolutely am free to do whatever I want to do. I'm not punishing myself by eating these plant-based foods. There is there is some good that comes from it. So I had to keep reminding myself of that. And then as far as like my family and their responses, I definitely have had moments with friends and family members where my excitement about all the good that came from transitioning to a plant-based diet somehow kind of rubs off on friends and family members as me telling them that their lifestyle choices were now wrong. So that that was something that was really difficult. And I've had to have conversations with friends or family members like, I'm, I promise I'm not judging what you're doing. I'm just telling you how excited I am about what I'm doing. Like, it, w- it was different for friends and family members to see me like, at a birthday dinner or something. Like if my family wanted to go out to a fancy restaurant and go out to eat and I couldn't eat anything and I would just sit there, but I'm there to celebrate like my friends and family. So I would try not to make it awkward, but if I'm just sitting there like twiddling my thumbs while everybody's eating steak and lobster, like it's going to look a little awkward with me just sitting there, but I'm not like turning my nose up at their food or anything like that. Cause again, I didn't become plant-based because I think that food grosses me out. And I know some vegans and people that eat a plant-based diet that actually are grossed out by animal-based food, but that that is not my lifestyle. Like I love that food. It just did not work with Agree my with body. with you. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So I, I it was hard to kind of explain that to my family and a couple of my friends because they they felt like I was judging them. And I'm like, I'm not that person at all. Like I've still cooked non-vegan food if my grandmother asked me to because now my grandmother is up in age so if she needs me to come over and cook her something I'm absolutely going to cook what she wants I'm not going to force her to eat vegan food because that's not what she wants so I will cook that food I will be around people when they're eating that food and I'm not grossed out at all and I'm not trying to make them feel bad but it, it was weird because it's almost like my lifestyle changes and my excitement about my lifestyle changes just made people feel like I was looking down on them like I'm better than you now because I eat healthy. And I'm like, no, that's not it. Like if I could eat that same food and get these same results, I would absolutely do it. Like, I love that food. I just know it's not going to work for me. Yeah. It's wild because it makes, they get defensive because it kind of puts like a magnifying glass on their life, even though you're not doing it. They're thinking about things in a way that they've never done before. So I get that. You got to tell me like, what does your grandmother say about this? Because I feel like when it comes to like the emotional part, it's dealing with, you know, family and friends. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the part that a lot of times we don't talk enough about is like, yeah. okay, you can make this change for yourself in your own space. But then when you go out into the world, it looks completely different. So mm-hmm. what did your grandmother have to say? Because for me, my grandparents are no longer living, but if I didn't eat my grandmother's food, mm-hmm. she kind of took that personal because Absolutely. she showed, you know, her love of, of for me through food. So Absolutely. how did that look? Yeah. So in the beginning, because my grandmother is much older now, so she, I've been vegan for, it'll be eight years this year. So eight years ago, she was still cooking our holiday meals and stuff. And at the time she was almost like, I call it fussing at me. She wasn't exactly yelling because I know what her tone was and where she was coming from. But her fussing at me was very much, Brittany, you better eat these greens because greens are a vegetable. You can eat these greens. I'm like, like, you put that uh, ham hock in there, Grandma. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, Grandma, did you or did you not put a turkey neck in the greens? Yes or no? (laughs) And she's like, you know I don't put no turkey neck in my greens. I'm like, Grandma, I'm not even trying to be sassy with you right now. I promise I'm just asking a genuine question. 
if you didn't put a turkey neck in the greens, did you put some bacon fat in the greens? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah, you right. I'm like, okay, grandma. So that's why I can't eat them. And she's like, well, I don't understand. What you gonna eat? You ain't bigger than a minute now. She loves about me. I'm not bigger than a minute because I'm just <laughs> I'm little in her eyes. And if I'm not eating meat and dairy, I'm only gonna get smaller. So according, mm-hmm. according to her, I'm just gonna disappear any day now because I'm not eating. So now, even though she doesn't cook, every time I go visit her. What are you eating today? Did you eat? Because you, I don't know. I just think you're getting skinnier. What did you eat today? Because I just don't trust that you, I'm like, Grandma, you don't think I'm feeding myself? (laughs) I'm still going to eat the same way I did before. It's just going to look a little different. And my birthday just passed. And my aunts actually wanted to go to one of my favorite vegan restaurants. So they actually all got to try vegan food. They all loved it. So I'm like, every time she'll ask me now, what did you eat? I'm like, please go ask your daughters. Did they enjoyed the vegan food that I took them to go try and asked them if any of them were starving after they ate. Because I think all of them were full and some of them had leftovers. So I'm like, if you don't believe me, please believe your daughters. Like, they mm-hmm. ate good for my birthday. I promise they did. <laughs> I did not starve them. Right. Yeah, grandma's a little harder to bring around, but I, I guess she's going to trust me now. I don't know. We'll see. You're still here. You're still living. You didn't, right. you didn't die off. Right. <laughs> so she she going to go with it. Yeah. I want to talk to you, too, about, like, the relationship between gut health and mental health because our gut is our center. We know that it contributes to a lot of our depression, anxiety, anything else we have going on. As a licensed therapist, I really want you to share that connection because I think that's super important. You know, um, as somebody who I definitely struggle with anxiety and depression and have for most of my life. And at mm-hmm. this point, I do take medication for it. And I feel like that's a place in my life. And I'm thankful for that. But I know that there's some people who ne- don't necessarily have chemical depression and anxiety like me. So what do you want to share about what that connection is as far as gut health and mental health and some of the things that we can do to make things a little easier for us? Yes, absolutely. So this, similar to what you just said, I have a lot of family members that have struggled with anxiety and depression for my entire life. I have had my bouts with that, but I have family members that have definitely taken medication to manage those symptoms. I have not reached that point yet. Hopefully I'm able to make some lifestyle changes that can help keep that away as long as I possibly can, but obviously life happens. So with my family and my loved ones, this was something that was huge for me to look a little more into. So I actually found um, a study by Columbia University, and I found that they kind of refer to our guts as our second brain. So when we hear things like dopamine or serotonin, we often think, okay, that's in the brain. But this study from Columbia University actually mentioned that the gut has more neurons than the spinal cord. And it uses a lot of the same neurotransmitters as the brain. So I'm like, wait, what? Like, this is this is new yeah. to me. Like, I never even thought of that. Fascinating stuff. So the more I'm reading and thinking about it, it talks about um, serotonin. And we really consider serotonin as one of our happy chemicals. Yes. And it actually aids in other things in addition to our mood. So in addition to feeling happy, serotonin aids in things like sleep, your digestion, your body's ability to heal wounds. So serotonin is huge. And 90% of your body serotonin is found in your gastrointestinal tract. And I'm like, why Why is nobody telling us this? Like That's, that's a, 90. That's nuts. Right. I'm like, that's fascinating to me. So if we think about the chemicals in a lot of the foods that we grew up eating or that some people still eat today, like if I think about McDonald's and all the chemicals that may be in that food or even like my favorite snacks growing up, like a lot of processed or packaged foods that have really high trans fats those kinds of foods are linked to decreasing our serotonin levels. So when you eat those foods and they interact with the serotonin in your gut, it is depressing your serotonin levels. So you're decreasing that hormone that makes you feel happy. So we got to remember that serotonin helps with all those other things in addition to your mood. So when you're eating those things, you can begin to feel depressed or anxious because the lower your serotonin levels are, the less sleep you're getting, the slower your digestion is, the more you may feel constipated. And then on top of all of those things, now you're feeling sad or anxious. Mm -hmm. So foods really help maintain that healthy balance um, of your gut chemicals. So you want to make sure that you're eating things like seeds and nuts, fruits and leafy greens that are going to aid in that good, healthy gut bacteria and are keeping those chemicals in a really good balance to really improve your mood, your energy, helping you have good digestion, 
things like that. So I was just fascinated to learn about that. And again, as somebody that has like direct contact with a lot of people that I'm really close to in my life that struggle with depression for most of my life and seeing the things that they eat and then they're taking their medication. I'm like, I want to encourage a lot of my loved ones to kind of just consider adding more of these positive lifestyle changes. Like I don't, again, I don't want to force anybody to be vegan in my family, but when I'm around like my mom or my aunts or something, really encouraging them to just consider substituting one meal or one snack per day, if you can, to just take a baby step in the right direction, especially if you can find something that can help with what I see a lot of my family members suffering with. Like, it's really difficult to see your mom struggling and calling off work every day because she's feeling too depressed to go to work. And then I want, I want to give any tips that I can, because I love these people. Like, these are my These are my besties. My mom's my best friend. My grandma's my best friend. So when I see them struggling and stuff, I want to provide a little bit of that education, but do it in a way where they would be receptive and really understand that I'm coming from like a place of love and just concern and care for them. So when I learned that, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to share this with all my peoples, but I got to find a way to do it in a way that will definitely make them understand that I'm coming from a place of love. Because again, I know it can be difficult when we talk about foods and things like that, especially in the black community, because food equals love for us. So when I'm telling you to stop eating the stuff that your grandmother cooked for you or that your mom cooked for you growing up, it can really hit a nerve. So just telling them like, absolutely, if you want to continue to eat those things and have that a part of your life, I understand where it's coming from for you, but finding healthy alternatives can be a good substitute to the other things that they're doing to help aid with their mood and things like that. So that's really, really important to me. Yeah. When you mentioned like as far as diet, it made me think of like incorporating more like kimchi or kombucha Mm -hmm. or sauerkraut, things like that. Very easy things that they can ask to, you know, to help uh, with the gut health. That's my like fermented food was my first thought. Yes, yes, yes. Always. I'm always thinking about the food. That's why I wanted to introduce a lot of my family. I call it like the fun vegan foods. I don't like to say they're good or bad vegan foods because I know there's a lot of things that we grew up on that are absolutely vegan, but maybe not the best for you. So I try not to tell my family, like, this is good vegan food. This is bad vegan food. But I introduce them to the fun vegan foods first, like the ones that make them think of home and make them feel comfortable. And like, this is really good comfort food. I try to introduce them to those things so that they'll maybe be a little more interested in the things like kimchi. Yeah. I guarantee I could not get any one of my family to try kimchi right now. I would, I would have to, really? I would have to really? pay them to try it. <laughs> right, but like, what is this? Why does it look like this? And why does it smell exactly. like that? <laughs> so, what you, so, what are you introducing then? What do you, what do you typically offer that feels familiar to your family then? So, my first Thanksgiving I mentioned was definitely a struggle, but I just found ways to make my grandmother's recipes plant based. So, I have my grandmother's recipe for her macaroni and cheese. I just swapped everything out to make it plant-based. So I cooked that recipe for my mom before. And now when she makes macaroni and cheese, she only makes the plant-based one. She does not make macaroni and cheese. So I do things like that to get them really familiar and comfortable with it. So if I'm not cooking it, then I'll take them to my favorite vegan restaurant and they'll try whole food plant-based things, but they may be a little bit fun. So I took my aunts to a restaurant for my birthday and they had a hot chicken sandwich, but it's really just fried oyster mushrooms, um, a crab burger. So it's like a crab cake, but it's on a burger. And that's made out of artichoke hearts and hearts of palm. Um, my little cousin came. She got fettuccine Alfredo. But again, the Alfredo is made of, I mean, the fettuccine Alfredo is made of the cashew cheese. So I'm showing them things that are like comfort food, like a fried chicken sandwich. I know all my family can get behind that. I just can't tell them what oyster mushrooms are until after they taste it. And then they're like, okay, that's good. Now what am I eating? Because if I would have said, you got to come with me to this restaurant to try hearts and palm and artichoke hearts, they'd be like, no. I'm (laughs) good. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So I just let them taste it first. And they're like, oh, this is good. Okay, Britt, what am I eating? Exactly. And then I tell them. And then they're like, okay, I like oyster mushrooms now. Like, I taught you something new. Yes, you do, auntie. You like oyster mushrooms. So I tell them after the fact. So I try to introduce them to things that seem a little less intimidating because I've gone on like a raw cleanse or something like that before. There's no way in the world I would get my aunties to go raw vegan with me for seven days. So once they trust me and know like my taste buds have not changed, I still like good food. It's just vegan food. Like once they learn to trust me again in the food department, then I can slowly introduce them to things that I think will make lasting life changes for them. 
Yes, that's the way to do it. That's the way yeah. to do it. You got to meet people where they are. I love that for y'all. That's great. Yeah. So what are some of the things that you like to do? Because now at this point, you have your supervisor, you are a licensed therapist, and then you have a whole side business, like a whole business that you've built outside of that. So tell us some of the things that you like to do with some of your clients as far as helping them and coaching them into eating well. Is it the same approach? Is it more so like, let me meet you where you are? Or is it kind of more of a format that you have for your clients? Yeah, so I would definitely say it's a little bit of both. So I want like I want my social media platforms to definitely kind of be like the funnel to women learning more about the services that I offer in the coaching format. So I think my social media platforms definitely are more of that meet you where you're at, kind of sharing fun tips and things that I've learned over these past few years being plant based. And then once you're engaged in the coaching services, then it's definitely a more structured process. So I have two coaching packages. The VIP package is the one where you get just a little bit more of that information and resources. So with the coaching, um, we have those one-on-one sessions, very similar to being with a therapist, but with the coaching, it's definitely more laid back, um, where we just talk through what your goals are, what things you have done so far that you found to be helpful, because that's where I want to meet you where you're at. If you found a path that works for you, like Brittany, I was able to be vegan for seven months last year. And then I stopped once X, Y, Z happens. Okay, I want to talk about those seven months. How were you able to do that? And what was helpful during that time? So we can start right there. Because if you've already set up a platform that works for you, I don't want to tear all of that down and say, we're going to do it my way. You have some skills too. So my coaching services definitely are going to empower my clients because I want to set people up where once they're done with my services, they don't feel completely lost. I want to empower you and give you all the tools you need to make changes far beyond your services with me. So we definitely talk through what you've done before, what's helped, what has not. And then with the resources that I share, I share some resources where I found tinctures and things that have helped clear up my skin. So I found um, different coaching programs or resources or tinctures or herbal treatments that definitely helps clear up my skin much faster, especially because I find that My skin personally can flare up again if I'm eating a lot of vegan processed foods. So a whole food plant-based diet works best for me. And if I have clients that are finding the same thing where they have to eat super, super clean to have awesome clear skin, here are some resources to a tincture or herbal supplement that you can take that'll make sure your skin stays clear if you're stressed out and not eating the way you really should be. I also offer meal plans. So I offer a meal plan for women that are struggling with PCOS and have insulin resistance. So if you need a low glycemic plant-based meal plan, I know of some foods that you can try, some recipes that you can try that are going to help with that insulin resistance and not spike your blood sugar levels. So we have um, the low glycemic meal plan, the weight loss meal plan. And then also, even though most women with PCOS primarily want to focus on weight loss, we also have a weight gain meal plan. So we have the acne, the insulin resistance, and the weight loss all tied in there. And then with the coaching services, I also give a tool. It's kind of a quiz or an assessment to help you understand how you respond to expectations. So we kind of talked about how I just became plant-based overnight. So my style of responding to expectations is if I say I'm going to do something, you it's just done. Do it. I'm yeah, do yeah, yeah, yeah. But then there are some people where they're like, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds. How are you going to lose those 10 pounds? If you tell yourself you want to lose 10 pounds, you may not do it. But if you have a friend that's going to lose 10 pounds with you and they call you every morning to say, hey, Brittany, we need to go to the gym. Remember, we said we want to lose 10 pounds. Now you respond to that because that's an outside expectation. So now we know going forward, once you're done working with me, you know you have to have a buddy to help you be successful going forward. So that means you may want to hire a physical trainer because you want somebody to meet you at the gym every morning and say, okay, I know I got to go to the gym because this person is waiting for me. So there's a quiz that'll help you identify what, what style you are. Are you going to be like me? Or I'm like, I said, I'm gonna do it. So I'm gonna do it. Or are you the type of person that needs that outside accountability? And it's like, okay, I got somebody waiting for me. Now I can do it. So how can you make lasting change far after you're done working with me? So I want to give you all the tools you need to make sure that you can be successful beyond our services. So you get the meal plans, you get the recipe list, you get all the resources to help with um, your skin, helping with cramps too, um, even though that's not a huge symptom of PCOS. 
if you're struggling with cramps, then there are some tips in there or some herbal supplements that you can take to help with the cramps as well. And that one-on-one coaching and that accountability where we can just talk through what you're feeling as you're going through this journey. Because similar to how we talked about the serotonin and the gut health, my brand is all about holistic well-being. And that includes your mental health and your spiritual health and your physical health. So including all of those things, that time that you're able to talk with me, we can talk through what was difficult this week as you were trying to stick with this lifestyle change that you were making. And then we can process that. Now, what can we do next week to make sure this doesn't happen? What tools can we put in place that are going to help you succeed? So some things that we have in between the sessions, because if you have the VIP package, we meet once a week for four weeks. So in between sessions, I created a 31-day devotional. So it has that spiritual component in there where I share scriptures that are going to inspire and encourage you. And then there's a little section for you to journal after you read that. So you have a little scripture, an encouraging scripture, a little word from me with some encouraging tips. And then you have a little blank sheet where you can talk through what you're thinking through, what you're struggling with, how this scripture may have inspired or helped you. And then there's also a component that will help you begin to pay more attention to how your body responds to the things that you're doing. So there's a little section in your journal where you can write down how your body responded after you ate a specific meal. I notice I get headaches after I eat such and such. So you write that down. So I'm now teaching my clients to listen to their body because our bodies are communicating with us all the time. Again, back to that serotonin and gut health. If after I eat some spicy hot fries or something like that, after that, I get a headache afterwards. My body is communicating to me, hey, we don't like hot fries. Yeah, so I'm teaching my clients to pay attention to things like that. So it includes that aspect as well, where you're learning to listen to your body. Again, that's going to be a very helpful tool that long after they're done working with me, they're going to know, okay, over the past two weeks, I ate X, Y, Z. And oh my gosh, my period came on day 28. Perhaps I should continue to incorporate those things into my diet because I noticed that my PCOS symptoms really reduced drastically when I incorporated those things in my diet. So really teaching you to pay attention to your body and that mental and spiritual health as well, because I think all of those things are connected and can really help in aiding your success. Mm-hmm. Tell us how we can work with you. Where should we go? So my website is lifehealthstrength.co. Just those three words, just like all my social media platforms. And it's not .com, .co. So lifehealthstrength.co. <laughs> and then there's a little coaching tab right at the top. You can submit a coaching inquiry And we can hop on a call, answer any questions that you might have before moving forward with the coaching services. But the website will definitely give a lot of information about what the coaching services entail. Once you submit that inquiry, you get all the details about all the components of the service that I just mentioned. And then I even have blog posts on my website that will tell you about my transition to being on a plant-based diet. And there are even some throwback pictures of what my skin looked like before I was plant-based. So kind of sharing and giving people a window into how I reached this point and how I would love to help other women that have been where I am and really need that additional support. So lifehealthstrength.co is the perfect place to reach out to me. Yes, I love your perspective. It's so unique because not only as being a licensed therapist, but as being a spiritual woman and offering holistic services, this is so, so important. I feel like there's not enough of us out yeah. here doing this type of work, but especially enough Black therapists. So I'm just so thankful that you continue to show up for us. Absolutely. Thank yes. you so much for having me, Monique. Yes. Thank you so much for being on here. And I'll make sure that I link to all of your information on a blog post for this episode. Perfect. Thank you so much.